Good morning. You are listening to KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and on the World Wide Web at KPOO.com. This is Prison Focus Radio. Slavery is back. In fact, it was never abolished. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery, except in prison. At the current rate of incarceration, by the year 2010, the majority of all African-American men between 18 and 40 will be in prison. The state as their captor. It's going to take people who are willing to fight, not people who want to negotiate with the enemy. beautiful people. I want to thank you for tuning in to KPOO San Francisco 89.5. You are listening to Prison Focus Radio, and I am your host, Nube Brown. We are going to continue this morning with the indictment of the state and its prison industrial slave complex, uh, written by Joka Hashima Jinsai, concept by Olu Abdul Olubala Shakur, and we have over these weeks been in conversation with Joka Hashima Jinsai, and um, we are going to continue with that. And we also are going to hear from Sitawa Nantambu Jama'a, one of the uh, four principal uh, representatives of the Agreement to End Hostilities, um, organizer of the 2011 through 2013 hunger strikes culminating in 30,000 people on the inside participating to end the torture of indefinite solitary confinement um, uh, particularly up in the notorious Pelican Bay State Prison and Corcoran, 
where the security housing units were meant to break the men who were put inside. Uh, Sitawa Nantabu Jama'a is a survivor of that torture, as is R. Jokaheshima Jensai and Abdul Olubala Shakur. So uh, Sitawa is uh, on a hunger strike that has now lasted 20 days. I just heard from him today. As you know, this is a pre-recorded show. So I just heard from him today. Uh, he is on his 20th day, and we are hoping that um, if things progress as they as they uh, should, he will be able to come off of that hunger strike either today or tomorrow, uh, which would be Wednesday. All right, so stay with us as we uh, get into our continued uh, conversation and uh, reading of the indictment of the state and its prison industrial slave complex. All right, so we I am going to read the preamble to the indictment of the state and its prison industrial slave complex. Um, for those of you that are new, we've been talking about this book and, and reading from this book uh, for quite a few weeks now, but some of you may be new. So I'm going to set the tone with reading the preamble. Actually, I could read this preamble at every uh, on every episode because it's, it's so powerful in and of itself. Uh, and so... Let's start with this and then um, and, and kind of catch you up a little bit because we are already to uh, count five um, in this indictment. So here we go with the preamble. The U.S. Racketeering Influence and Corrupt Organizations Act, Title 18, Part 1, Chapter 96, the RICO Act, was initially enacted by Congress chiefly to combat the influence of organized criminal enterprises on the political, judicial, and financial mechanisms of power in the U.S. The primary instrument used by those vested with the responsibility to prosecute such cases on behalf of the people is the indictment. However, what do we do when the institutions responsible for upholding, and in some case instances making the law, are the chief architects of its habitual violation. What do we, the people, do in an alleged democracy when the financial gain and political power of those who are vested with the responsibility of upholding this law is inextricably linked to maximizing the number of criminal offenders under their control, when their job security, livelihood, political, and social influence is dependent on high crime and incarceration rates, when they are beholden to corporate interests in exchange for kickbacks and gratuities to ensure profits are met on the backs of a constant flow of people being imprisoned. This is the circumstance we as a society are faced with concerning the California Department's Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation, associated agencies and state administrators. The Office of the Attorney General, in the normal course of affairs, would be the body vested with the responsibility of preparing, presenting, and prosecuting such an indictment. However, the Attorney General is the chief counsel for CDC small r and related officials, thus creating a conflict of interest which not only precludes them from objectively and competently pursuing such an indictment, but the merits and the indictment itself, historically speaking, tend to support their complicity in this criminal enterprise. As such, it falls to us, as servants of the people, to prepare this indictment on the people's behalf. The transformation of the U.S. prison system into the modern prison industrial slave complex, the PISC, and California's leading role in that process is a study in the corrupting influence of money and political power on the very mechanisms of public safety. Though this particular indictment is focused on the California system, CDC small r, it is our contention that this criminal enterprise is endemic of the modern PISC and as such exists in every U.S. prison system. Therefore, this indictment can serve as a blueprint for the people to employ nationally. Title 18, S1961 defines racketeering activity in part as any act or threat involving murder, kidnapping, robbery, bribery, extortion, dealing in controlled substance, substances, or any act which is indictable under any provision of Title 18. That's in quotes. 
These indictable acts include offenses relating to everything from embezzlement to mail fraud, from slavery to the exploitation of children, and CDC Smallr has presided over or facilitated all of these acts, and much, much more. The underlying basis of the following is founded on a readily observable and fairly predictable premise. The industrialization of human bondage in capitalist America corrupted the instruments of criminal justice from the very onset. The biggest industry in the state of California is not agriculture, tourism, the technology of Silicon Valley, or the movie industry in Hollywood. No, it's prisons. Just as the slave plantations produced sugar and cotton to maintain agricultural and textile industries, prisons produced social control for political elites and corporate interests to continue the orderly extraction of labor surplus value profit, contain nationally oppressed racial and ethnic groups, and maintain the private appropriation of the social product, tax dollar funded contracts. Prisons have been industrialized to the point where these interests have manufactured a new base of political support for this scheme, the labor aristocracy of prison guards. Prison guard unions, like the California Correctional Peace Officers Association, the CCPOA, wield a disproportionate amount of political influence in social life, all in support of the same political and corporate interests responsible for their relatively privileged position in the labor market. The contemporary criminal justice system in America is one of the biggest conflicts of interest in U.S. history. The system you vested with the responsibility to ensure your public safety has their financial gain tied directly to the number of people, quote, breaking the law, unquote, that they can hunt, catch, try, convict, sentence, and imprison. Rehabilitation and public safety are not in their economic interests. Criminalization and underdevelopment are. This is a fairly simple equation. Rehabilitation and social empowerment of offenders cannot be genuinely pursued because this would reduce the number of criminal offenders and parole violators, which would in turn decrease the need for so many police, lawyers, judges, deputies, jails, guards, prisons, and companies to support and supply them all. And most important of all, the need for your tax dollars to line their pockets. Public safety thus takes a backseat to personal gain. At the behest of the CCPOA, lobbyists to bolster their bids for re-election, legislators pass more laws and even stiffer penalties to broaden the net and deepen the pit for those who run afoul of the law to be cast into. Judges and lawyers continue to reinterpret the law to to curtail constitutional protections, civil liberties, and access to the courts. Law enforcement sensationalize their wars on this or that type of crime to ensure you vote to pass bills and bond measures guaranteeing tougher laws, more militarized equipment, more police, and more guards to inflate their already inflated budgets and salaries. District attorneys maximize caseloads to ensure larger budgets and higher billings, while public defenders are forced to carry 25 cases at a time on shoestring budgets, reversing the burden of proof and effectively guaranteeing the conviction of low-income, overwhelmingly non-white offenders. Jails and prisons are overcrowded, undeserved breeding grounds of racial violence. Sorry, underserved breeding grounds of racial violence, economic desperation, and social despair. All of this while the guards, union lobbies for more prisons, harsher laws, more draconian judges, and DAs better salaries and benefits, and finally to convince you all that prisoners are irredeemable, animals worthy of the perdition the state has created. Microsoft, Mead, Global Tel Link, Frito-Lay, Papermate, Wackenhorst, Mental Health Systems, Inc., Gregory Packaging Incorporated, Westcare, BIC, Waldenhouse, and hundreds of other corporations make hundreds of millions a year off of men, women, and children being locked up in California, a growth industry more lucrative than oil and more corrupt than Chicago city government during prohibition. Pursuing an indictment against individual offenders over the length and breadth of CDCR's history would not only be far too voluminous, but an act of futility, as it is the system itself which is corrupted. In case after case of proven criminal misconduct by CDC small R officials and staff, Individual offenders have pointed to their conduct as reflective of the department's 
policies. Quote, I was following my training, unquote, or I was doing my job, unquote, has been repeatedly put forward as a recognizable defense to everything from facilitating rape to acts of murder in the furtherance of an illegal gambling enterprise. This standard excuse serves to prove no matter who is standing in the warden's shoes, sitting in the IGI-ISU office, presiding over juvenile corrections, or sitting in the secretary of CDC small R's chair, these corrupt practices are followed as a matter of, quote, policy. This is the very definition of a racketeering enterprise. Action with, quote, intent to otherwise promote, manage, establish, carry on, or facilitate promotion, management, establishment, or carrying on any unlawful activity, unquote. It must be understood this is not a simple matter of poor correctional culture. This is a deliberate, well-thought-out racket presided over by law enforcement, correctional and political officials, with billions of dollars in play and virtually no public oversight. In a culture that touts greed as a virtue, corruption under these conditions was a virtual certainty. If there is ever to be any confidence in the integrity of the mechanisms of governments and governance and public safety, the system itself must be indicted, its structural corruption exposed, and alternative forms of social organization explored as a sure means of our collective security. Joka Hashima Jinsai. And now Sitawa. Uh, who called me about being on the 20th day of his hunger strike. This is Sitawa Nantambu Jama'a. ...monitored and recorded. To accept this call, say or dial 5 now. Thank you for using Global Tail Link. Sitawa. Hello. How you doing? Oh, brother, it's so good to hear from you. Likewise. How are you? Listen, yes, how are you? I, I spoke to Marie a couple of days ago, and she said you were still on hunger strike. It was 15 days, and that was like two days ago, I think, two or three days ago. Yeah, it was. Today And you are still hunger striking? And when it's proven that it's two times, they 
where to come up with time limitations and I responded in 20 days and they gave 60 days to respond. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. I told Keith I'm going to put that package together. When I get through with the letter he writing right now, I'm going to add it to it. Then I'm going to have a declaration from now about it. And then some of the support letters from the board. And so people can understand who I am. And the reason why I'm doing this and stuff. And so they, 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 they appealed a character who I am. Then I go into 602 after that. And then for I went, follow the rules. And they, they opted not to follow the rules and try to twist it. So, you know, bad at they doing that. I was just going to send it over to the governor. Say it's in your hands. Now I'm going to make you governor center. The chair of the public health safety committee to the senator and to the senate member, public health care chair, and let them review it too so it won't just be stuck inside the CDC. Then I will send a copy to the OIG so they can see the whole package of what I'm doing it for. But he's going to write a letter of, he said he's still on that today. And he said hopefully by the end of the day, he had that letter written and stuff. And uh, he has sent a copy to Captain Amnesty and himself, you know. Mm. So unfortunately, Satawa and I got cut off, and I know that it's difficult to hear or understand him, but I, um, this is, of course, the, the um, result of being in prison for so long, having uh, suffered a stroke, uh, being medically neglected, uh, so his, uh, <clears throat> his speaking is a little difficult to hear. But I think uh, my idea is to 
hear him more often so that it will be his voice and his inflections um, will become more familiar and you will be able to get enough of what he's saying uh, even if you don't get every word. So um, Sitawa is going, uh, so we did get cut off and just after um, we got cut off, I got a call from one of the Alabama prisoners talking about the strike that they are on, that they stopped and they are going to continue. But he has a lot to say. I'm very grateful for this call. And so we are going, you are going to um, hear that now. After, actually, we take a quick musical break uh, and then we will come back with Mikhail. Side in the revolution Won't stay silent for things that I love Cause we know them not care about us Why men can't jump, but at least they can't run Both these chains to put hands up They can never see the kingdom coming You wanna see us all I'm after nothing I can see your face See the light in your eyes I can see the change Feel the heat of the fire If you can feel the pain And you know you're alive Jorge Smith, by any means. And if you are just joining us, this is Prison Focus Radio. I'm your host, Nube Brown, here on KPOO San Francisco 89.5. 
I want to remind you that we are in a fund drive. We are looking to raise $75,000 by the end of the year. This should be an easy task. Y'all have always come through beautifully. We love this community. We know how much you love KPOO um, 89.5 San Francisco. So please make your donations. You can do it easily by going online at kpoo.com. If you want to send in uh, your donation by check, just go to KPOO. Actually, that's send your donation to P.O. Box 156650, San Francisco, California, 94115. And be as generous as possible. We know that um, only through our collective um, um energy can we really make the impact that's necessary to keep this radio station uh, moving forward. We love this radio station. I'm going to say a big shout out to uh, KPOO and um, all those that help to keep it running and provide amazing shows 24-7. Thank you so much and for giving us here at Prison Focus Radio this very precious hour to speak on prison issues. This is still a crime against humanity that is taking place um, in this country in the form of what's called mass incarceration, which is really modern-day slavery. So, um, again, it's really important that we have this hour to uh, continually let the public know what is truly taking place on our watch and how you can get involved. So thank you again uh, to KPOO for um, giving us this hour here on Prison Focus Radio and to thank all of you, the listeners, who make it possible. So again, please make that donation. Going online is very easy and you can also send in your donation there. Thank you so much. All right, we are going to get back to it and we um, are going to hear now from Mikael, um, a, a, a legal slave in um, Alabama, talking about the, uh, the strike and the Alabama strike and um, the conditions under which they uh, felt that they needed to to strike for. Here we go. Hello. Yeah. Okay, how are you doing? I'm here. <clears throat> Fan- fantastic. Um, this is Nube. Okay, my name is Brother Mikael. It's nice to meet you. I'm an inmate in Alabama Department of Corrections. Fantastic. Uh, yes, go ahead. Basically, what's going on here is we've been on strike. Uh, for since uh, September 26th in protest of inhumane conditions and uh, a slew of other things. But we're about to go back on strike again on the 31st, and we need to get as much attention to it as possible. We have uh, legislation filed, DOJ and filed lawsuits with their findings released this uh, on the Internet. It can be Googled easily, like, the details, the conditions, and the, the each violation that has occurred, they have stacks of evidence on it. It's like, this is not our word against theirs. This is documented. It's going on. It's ongoing, and no one is doing anything about it. So we're in protest. We are sitting down. We're about to shut back down again, and when we do, we need as, much, as many eyes and as much attention on the issue as possible. Absolutely. Uh, you are right. And we are definitely want to get it, uh, get that to you. I just want you to know that I am recording you. I hope that that's okay, because I am also in the middle of doing my radio show. And I would like to yes, have ma'am. your voice on on the radio show. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Oh, f- okay, fantastic. Um, I wanted to ask you, so you, you went on, you went on a strike and there were different kinds of strikes that people were doing. Do you want to uh, say specifically what, what yes, kinds ma'am. of things people yes, were doing? Ma'am. Thank you. So people strike from going to work. They strike from going to, uh, uh, the store, the canteen, mm-hmm. from using the paid phones, people strike from, uh, the institutional jobs, uh, cleaning up, taking trash out, anything the police had to do on their own. So this is how this system operates and runs. This system operates off our labor. It operates off our ability to keep it running. Mm -hmm. If we don't keep it running, then it won't run. And we're not going to keep on running a system that's killing us. Absolutely. And right on for that. Right on. You are not going to be complicit in your own genocide and oppression. 
we love that. Um, and so um, I would love it if you, do you want to say um, what some of those conditions are that you're under despite? I mean, yes, they're exploiting your labor, basically treating you like a slave um, that your state constitution says that you are. Um, but do you want to speak specifically to what those conditions are? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. So these violations were investigated and they were documented by the Department of Justice. They started releasing these findings in April of 2019. The violations uh, range from warehousing inmates in overcrowded and dilapidated buildings, unsafe and unsecure environments with lack of personnel, use of excessive force by staff, inadequate access to proper health care, insufficient nutrition, even falsified documents for causes of death. These conditions existed way before we started uh, documenting them and seeking remedy for, uh, from the DOJ in 2012. So these are not new conditions. This is just uh, we've been fighting the fight to get these conditions changed for about the last 10 years real hard, this generation of uh, the MA population. But other generations have fought before. So I have documents of a uh, case of Robert G. McCray and uh, petitioners, which was a uh, class action lawsuit filed against the the, uh, the chairman of the Department of Corrections in Alabama in 1976, and they were forced to, they were operating way over capacity, exact same conditions as now. They were forced to stop bringing in new inmates and to not transfer any inmates through already overcrowded prisons until they got their prisons back down to capacity. We're operating at 200% capacity right now with about 80% of police personnel that's needed. Not even 80%, maybe 50% of police personnel is needed. Excuse me, I gave the numbers way wrong. Wow. So with that, you know, you, the, that's what the DOJ filed on, prisoner on prisoner violence, uh, police on prisoner violence, the lack of ability to control the environment or protect the security. And uh, so, you know, that's what we got going on right there. Well, yes. Now, and Go ahead. Go ahead, please. Okay. So these conditions, these conditions are all gone. And... Uh, no relief has been granted yet. The DOJ filed for injunctive relief in their lawsuit uh, uh, December uh, 2020. And this this has been, you know, come on, it's going on too long. People are dying in here. People are dying more and more. Look at the mortality rate. The mortality rate in Alabama is on the rise constantly. And I'm talking about in the prison. They are killing us. We are dying. This is not cumulative. What is not right. They're violating our human rights, our inalienable rights, our civil rights, our constitutional rights. They're violating our right to live. We are denied the basic essential necessities of life. We, I don't understand why this is not a public outcry around the world. I don't. This we are held in overcrowded warehouses that get smoked out with chemical filled smoke like a bar or club, and you can't breathe. And if you do. The, the, the damage that's being done to your lungs is probably irreparable. And these, these big warehouses, these dorms, they house us like this. I can liken them to all Swiss gas chambers. And you want to tell me that this isn't a human rights violation of the worst kind? <laughs> yes. Uh, the I think the UN Council on, uh, uh, on, on Human Rights would agree with you, Mikhail, for sure. Um, wow. And you mentioned all the way back to 1976. So you, um, not to bring this, I, I would like to ask you about, um, the, um, this, your state ballot now has on it. it well, it's going to be on the ballot in November, uh, to remove the slavery language, um, in your state constitution. Um, would you, would you, um, would you like to comment on that in terms of your conditions there? Yes, ma'am. So that's something that, uh, to be honest with you, I, I, a lot of groups have been working on. Uh, I've seen a lot of people putting 
putting uh, putting in work to get the slave language changed in the U.S. Constitution and constitutions of states across the country for uh, some years now, and that is probably the greatest the greatest move we have because that's the loophole that was left in after the Emancipation Proclamation to keep us in slavery. It, 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 the, the game didn't change; the name just did. So it evolved from slavery to mass incarceration or to Jim Crow segregation and mass incarceration, but it did so through the 13th Amendment, which stated that no person shall be held in slavery or servitude unless duly convicted of a crime, which puts you right back in slavery and servitude. You feel me? Yeah. So this is it, but the UN Declaration. Now, this is what I'm saying: why it would be a humanitarian, uh, a humanitarian violation, because the Universal Declaration of Human Rights that was signed into effect uh, in Paris on December 10th, 1948, uh, generally states that everyone, Article Four. It states that no one shall be held in slavery or servitude. Slavery and the slave trade shall be prohibited in all their forms. But yet in the United States, slavery took the form of the criminal justice system through the 13th Amendment, where we are incarcerated, enslaved, and worked for free for a slave wage of 40 cents a day. But we sit at the head of the free world. We run in other people's countries every day for violating those same articles. And then turn around and use these tactics on our own citizens. Absolutely. So um, this just really highlights how incredibly colonized our minds are and how colonized uh, the, the perspective, um, the general public out here um, to, to what's taking place in our country. Um, do you so you are clearly very articulate and knowledgeable about what is taking place are you finding that on the inside as well with a lot of your comrades inside or please ask that question again now. i just wanted to ask so you're obviously very knowledgeable about the 13th amendment and and your conditions there on a socio-political level um are you finding that with um more of your comrades inside oh, as... oh no they no so the mm -hmm. people who know what i know even willing to act on it are very very few mm -hmm. and that's why our situation is so devastating because we, we we play a major part in keeping ourselves enslaved so it's super hard when not only you got to fight the, the system that oppresses you but then uh as a rule as a rule psychology 101 states that victims oppressed and tainted by the system that oppresses them often turn on other victims so you end up finding yourself in a place where you happen to fight your own people just to fight for their, their freedom and yours. Absolutely. And we know that Harriet Tubman has, has said the same thing, right? I could, have, I could have freed a lot more people if they would have known that they were slaves. Um, a lot of these questions are rhetorical, um, so I hope that I don't sound any, you know, any kind of disrespectful or anything, um, because I think more people need to understand this um, about what it is that you are up against inside, uh, like you said, because there are very few of you, and that is why we here on the outside must hear from you and must act in solidarity with you and so that we can overstand and change that narrative about how this can be happening to you um, on our watch out here. But I do understand, uh, Mikhail, hey, am I? I, I, I want to I say something, sister, please, if I can. Please, very please. Because this is a collective understanding now of the whole. And when I say that, I'm not speaking for anybody. I'm speaking from experience mm -hmm. of having conversations with people in these conditions and they have been in these conditions for over the last 20 years. So with that being said, we understand how our society works mm -hmm. and we want to be active parts of our society to help and make it better a lot of people still believe in the great american experiment but we have to work together to keep evolving it to be and get to where it needs to be now to get straight to the point we have a criminal justice system for a reason but at this time and over a long the majority of the time that it's been instituted has been used as a caste system crime and punishment are not correlated the numbers if you look them up they don't the the the, the, the crime rate in a particular area for a particular crime has no effect of the arrest made in that area and how police carry out their day-to-day -day activities they come through to make quotas and throw you in paddy wagons which is how that little boy got his neck broke in boston 
You feel me? They don't even care about your name, your situation, or nothing. You a number so they can get this government check at the end of the month. They picking you up in paddy wagons and slinging you in there, throwing you in head first. That's how our system has evolved because we are not keeping our hands in there as effectively as possible to make shape and mold it like we have to do in every sector of our country. That is our, our job as U.S. citizens. So. With that being said, we all, us, the educated, uh, the, the, the rehabilitated of the American criminal justice system, understand the need for an American criminal justice system. But it has to be done properly in the right way. People should not be subjected, over-sentenced, subjected to inhumane conditions and unconstitutional uh, 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 circumstances that not only... They don't rehabilitate us, but they debilitate us. We're not being rehabilitated. We're being debilitated, dehumanized. We're being subjected to torture, killed, starved, murder. So this is no just. This is no justice for nobody. This is no justice for nobody. I absolutely agree. Do you want to talk then also about how this affects your families? Because then, so it directly affects the uh, the communities out here. The treatment that you uh, are. Uh, being subjected to and and your com your brothers inside uh, is is going to indirectly and negatively impact the family and people that are attached to you. Yes, ma'am. So you have men being turned into zombies in here, literally. Like you have men who are coming out home shells of their former selves if they ever make it back there. Well, there won't be no benefit to their family. They they are they are what you call a uh uh a dependent. See what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. We dependents. Mm -hmm. Right now we sucking our families dry and the state is raping them. So the state is charging us twenty five dollars for a ten dollar sweatpants that you can get at Walmart for the for the winter. We can't buy the center from the house or go get get it from anywhere else. We gotta get it from this one company that has this contract with this state that is pocketing money on the side. You see mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Absolutely. So not only are they raping us, they raping y'all because the American citizens on the street all of them been touched by a criminal justice system. Somebody got a family member or a cousin or something that's incarcerated or has formerly been incarcerated and you footing the bill on that, whether it's through your taxes or through you directly sending funds to them. These people are getting rich off of you and me and this money is going into their pockets and we, we getting we're being killed. I mean, come on, man. Here I asked Mikhail, to please give an update on Castelio Vaughn. His answer is incredibly chilling. And then also to uh, give us, uh, again, the, the complete update on what's taking place in the prisons and any last words. And here's what he had to say. At, at this time, they, they, they took Vaughn. We don't know where he at. Uh, they snatched him up. Like, ain't nobody. You ain't going to see him. And because uh, he too much, drawing too much attention. But we are housed in dilapidated buildings with evidence that's been recorded by the DOJ videos out there floating on social media. Now, you will see that anytime it rains in the state of Alabama, all of these facilities leak and flood like groundwater rapids. I'm talking about you'll see literally water just flooding, just running through cells, uh, dorms, all of that. Okay, uh, asbestos, mold. Uh, the toilets in the, in the bathrooms are just uninhabitable now. So you might have one, two toilets working and one, two urinals to like 100, 150 people. And then it's just the, the conditions of them. It's terrible. The hills are old and falling down. So These are climate issues. Yes. Absolutely. You have, you have uh, infestation of rats and roaches and other things in the kitchens and in the foods. It's nothing to see them have to throw away whole bags and chicken and other things in there that the roaches, the uh, rats that ate into the bag got into it. So a lot of times that stuff don't get thrown away. It gets served to us. A lot of times it's, man, we eating poison and don't even know Oh, so All that's right. toxic. You got people in here being beat up by staff. You got footage uh, 
at this same camp not long ago where, you know, police were whooping a mental health inmate on a rooftop of, a, of, a, of one of these buildings. He was trying to jump and kill himself. And the man snatched him up and started whooping it right there on the ledge. They could have fell off. He could have killed him anything. Like, like any mental health, what you beat him up for the man trying to kill himself and trying to harm nobody else. So... These are the type of things you see go on. They are assaulting people, killing people. Folks are dying left and right. They cannot secure these facilities. People are watching you get murdered every day. They will stand right there and watch you get killed. They are not going to come in. They are not going to help you. They are going to run out of the door and lock it and leave you in there to die. And it happens all the time. Mikhail. You, under those conditions, cannot keep me legally held in this institution by law you have to let me go which kind of leads us into another portion real quick which is the rate at which Alabama has not been granting parole would you mind exactly that so this has been going up for parole. You have 50 people going for parole, man. Two, three people make it, if that. And they, uh, man, I'm talking about, they are sliding their people in and right on back up out of here. You'll never see them, but we get thousand years and we don't get no relief. Uh, you go take these classes and these uh, programs and they, they don't count for nothing. Spend 10 years staying out of trouble and taking all these classes and going for parole with a 10-year clear record and get denied, set off for five years. Everybody keeps getting denied, set off for five years. People with 10-year clear records, 15-year clear records, people with 20, 30 program completions in their jacket. No reason whatsoever to keep them. You have no criteria for us to follow. There's nothing for us to say, okay, I check off this box. I check off this box. This is what I got to do to make parole. None of that. It's just a hope and a wish that they might think about letting you out. And they have no criterion on what that is. And they deny everyone. That's illegal. That's, that's illegal. Because even though parole is a privilege, like visitation in the store, once you give it to one person, it's legally binding on you to give it to another, or it's discrimination. So if you let these other certain types of individuals out and slide through the cracks this way and that way, you got to apply the same rules. Oh, you're breaking up. You're breaking up there. But you are absolutely, yes, you are absolutely correct, and that the. Um, the corruption of uh, parole boards is endemic to to this this system. We have the same thing that happens here in California. People that have been in for 30, 40, 50 years and still have been and have been denied parole 15, 20 times for no reason. It's totally people, illegal and corrupt. You got a slew of people that got 20 year sentences with right. 85% set ups throughout the years of 2005 to about 2012. They was just throwing them out all over the state 2020, but whatever crime it was, 2020, and, and if they were violent, they would give you the 85% set up, which wasn't mandatory in your sentencing guideline. It, it, was, and it, was, it was something that was given out as a setup for your parole date by uh, the by Alabama Department of Corrections, by the parole of uh, the Board of Parks and Paroles in Montgomery. So this has nothing to do with the court you sentenced out of mm-hmm. or what county you sentenced out of in Alabama. This has to do with the uh, the, the Board of Parks and Paroles. So it says that they have the, the ability to give you an 85% setup, but it's up to them. So you've seen mm-hmm. particular... Uh, People getting 10-year setups on the 20, and then you see all these other people get 15-year setups on the 20, and then it didn't matter what it was. And then when you go up for the first time for your parole after 15 years, they set you off for five, and you EOS, you do the whole 20. So that's why they did that. It was an easy way to just get a whole bunch of people off the street for 20 years. Wow. That's intense. Uh, Mikael, what I would love for you to do is just... Say some last word. The, the the floor is yours again. Okay. In closing, I would like to share this. 
the Universal Declaration of Human Rights document was drafted by representatives with different legal and cultural backgrounds from all over the world. It was proclaimed by the United Nations General Assembly in Paris on December 10, 1948. It's General Assembly Resolution 217A. Article 3 states everyone has the right to life, liberty, and security of person, yet we are denied the basic essentials of life and our persons are in constant danger. Article 4 states no one shall be held in slavery or servitude. Slavery and the slave trade shall be prohibited in all their forms, yet in the United States, slavery took the form of the criminal justice system through the 13th Amendment, where we are incarcerated, enslaved, and work for free or a slave wage of 40 cents a day. Article 5 states no one shall be subjected to torture or to cruel, inhumane, or degrading treatment or punishment. Yet we are warehoused in overcrowded modern-day gas chambers in foul, sickening conditions with no access to proper health care, proper nutrition, and we have been subjected to chemical and psychological warfare. This is above genocide this is beyond a criminal justice issue this is a human rights issue at the least we asked alabama legislator to hold the doc accountable nothing happened we asked the doj and the federal government to hold a doc accountable still nothing has happened now we ask the united nations we asking the world to hold america responsible and make them hold a doc accountable Every man and woman on this planet have certain inalienable rights. Liberty, the pursuit of happiness. The aim of all political association is the preservation of the natural and imprescriptible rights of man. Anywhere that there is an invasion made upon inalienable rights, there must arise a perfect or external right to resistance. Inalienable rights are essential limitations in all governments. So we are asking the world to hold America responsible, make them hold the ADOC accountable. This is a humanitarian crisis on the world scale, nothing less. This is not an American criminal justice issue. People are dying. People are losing their lives. These folks need help, and they need help now. Thank you. All right. We will continue to keep you posted about what's happening in Alabama, as well as with Sitawa Nantambu Jama'a and his hunger strike. Uh, again, that he is on for the 20th day now. He may be ending... Um, his strike either today or tomorrow. Again, we will keep you posted. And um, thank you for joining me here this morning on Prison Focus Radio. Get ready for Work Week with Steve Seltzer. Southern leaves, southern trees we hung from. Barren souls, heroic songs unsung. Forgive them, Father, they know this not as undone. Tied with the rope that my grandmother died. Pride of the pilgrims affect lives of millions. Enslaved days separating fathers from children. Institution ain't just a building. But a method of having black and brown bodies filled them. We ain't seen as human beings with feelings Will the U.S. ever be us, Lord willing? But now we know the new Jim Crow To stop, search, and arrest our souls Police and policies patrol Philosophies of control A cruel hand take it home We let go to free them so we can free us America's moment to come to Jesus Sings for freedom to ring. Black bodies being lost in the American dream. Blood of black bean, a pastoral scene. Slavery still alive, check Amendment 13. Not whips and chains are subliminal. Instead of nigger, they use the word criminal. Sweet land of liberty, incarcerated country. Shot me with your ray gun and now you want to trump me. Prison is a business, America's the company. Investing in the justice, fear, and long suffering. 
We staring in the face of hate again The same hate they say will make America great again No consolation prize for the dehumanized For America the rise is a matter of black lives And we gon' free them so we can free us America's moment to come to Jesus Thank you.